Welcome to Unity of Tucson. God bless the child that's got his own. You know, we all got our own because we all have our mind. And that's the important lesson, I think, ultimately, is to know that, you know, it actually doesn't matter how much money you have. Now, there may be people who say, oh, it matters. But money is simply an expression of consciousness, and as we expand our consciousness, as we expand the understanding of our beingness, as we expand the understanding and live in an awareness of the good that is inherent right here for each and every one of us, we can never be without. We can never be without. So I gave that homework last week to create the spiritual balance sheet. And what was funny is that I opened up uh, the book, Spiritual Economics, and the very first question of the chapter that, uh, the first of the two chapters that basically today's talk sort of loosely covers, the very first sentence was a question that said, what is your most important asset? I thought, well, I just talked about assets and liabilities last week. <laughs> so are we backtracking? No. No. What is your most important asset? So I want you all to just for a moment, if you've read the chapter, you, don't, you, know, you, know, you know what the answer is, I imagine, but just consider for yourself quietly in this moment what you consider your most important asset to be. Just reflect on it for a moment. Because I have an idea about what I think our most important asset universally is, the most important asset we all have, the most important asset we all carry. The most important asset, I believe, is choice. That we live lives of choice. That is the most magnificent asset we have. Now, there's a fundamental part of this teaching that goes along with this idea of choice. And having a background initially in uh, the religious science branch of new thought, one of those things that sticks with me, you know, there's, you know, you study religious science for 15 years and there are things that stick with you. And Ernest Holmes, the founder of religious science, said this around choice. He said that we are bound because we are first free. People are like, what? That has to do with choice? It absolutely has to do with choice. We are bound because we are first free. We are free to make choices. We have this magnificent opportunity in every moment to make choices. And the moment we make a choice, we become bound by that choice until we decide to make a different choice. So we're never fully bound, right? Because we can always make a new choice. Now, a lot of people live their lives thinking, oh my gosh, I make a choice. And we work so hard, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm making a choice. And oh, what choice should I make? Because they think it can never be changed. Your choices can be changed. They just can. I'm sorry, I'm going to tell you that. Always. Your choices can be changed. He also says this about freedom. We are bound because we are first free. And freedom is the birthright of every living soul. Freedom is the 
birthright of every living soul. So we have the capacity to decide in this moment, irrespective of whatever has preceded this moment, to say, I got my own. I got my own. I know who I am. And that inherently makes me a rich individual. And it doesn't matter if it's reflected in money. It doesn't matter if it's reflected over here in relationships. It doesn't matter how it's reflected to me. When I know who I am, all of the circumstances of my life align according to that frame of mind. And none of it has anything to do with that out there. It's all here. Emily Cady, who wrote Lessons in Truth, which is one of the fundamental texts that we use in unity, wrote this. And, I, and, and, and before I put it up, <laughs> there's some old-fashioned language in Emily's work, right? I mean, she was a product of her time. So I'm going to start with this word. Hitherto. We have believed that we received joy from outside circumstances and surroundings, but it is not so. Nothing that anyone does or says or fails to do or say can take away our joy and good. Hitherto, that means before, hitherto we have believed that we received joy from outside circumstances and surroundings. But it is not so. Nothing that anyone does or says or fails to do or say can take away from our joy or good. Do you believe that? Yes. Wholeheartedly? Yes. Is there any part of you that doesn't believe that? Yes. Oh, that was not quite so, yes, yes, oh, well, maybe, right? There is one thing that can take away our joy and good. And that is the belief that we are subject to circumstances outside the self. And even for me, I am still uncovering the ways in which I look to the circumstantial world and I go, oh, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm limited by that. More and more I say, let us let go of the concept of limitation. Because you are not bound by anything except your own choice to be bound. So if you believe there is power in that out there, guess what? It is done unto you as you believe. There is power in that out there. If you decide on a new path, then nothing that anyone does or says or fails to say or do can take away from your joy and your good. It's all choice. This is all choice. The entire experience and expression of life is choice. It's like trick-or-treating as a kid. It's all choice. You know, I remember when I was a kid, it was always finding out which house had the good candy. And was I going to choose to you know, delay that feeling of good by going to all these other houses first, or was I going to choose to go to that house first? Because I knew that they had the good candy, and if I didn't get there, well, then they may, not, they may not have any of the good candy anymore, right? Is my costume, here's another one, is my costume sufficient to impress others? That was a big one when I was a kid. Did I have a costume that was going to impress all of my friends? Not always. Uh, 
But you know what? When we, when we ask questions like that in terms of, like, does our parents impress our friends? Well, then we are putting the sense of our value and to, into the hands of others, into their opinions. There comes a time, this is the other thing about Halloween, and I'm grateful that we have uh, dispelled this myth today. There is a time when you're too old for it. Not at all, my 14-year-old nephew says. <laughs> Never! <laughs> Wait till you're 48, <laughs> like me. <laughs> you know, the idea that playfulness is only for children, it's not. We should be having a good time. We should be smiling and laughing in our experience of life. Are you having a good time? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> So here's the thing. The antidote to all of this is make different choices. If you are feeling less than, if you are putting your value, your sense of value into the opinions of others, if you are feeling like you can't get to the house that has the good candy in enough time, let go of the choice that your good resides outside the self. It does not. In the book, Spiritual Economics, there's a story that Eric Butterworth tells about a man who goes to the doctor. You know, and this is the kind of story we hear all the time. Someone goes to the doctor and the doctor says, you have six months to live. Well, what are you going to do with that information? If that was you, what would you do with that information? Are you going to choose to accept that as the expression and experience of your life? Or are you going to choose something different? Now, what this man did is he said, okay, I hear you. I understand that this is the information that I have been given. And I am going to do what I have always done. He says, I will do what I have always done. Live with a grateful heart one day at a time. Because if I put my focus on the six months from now, what am I creating in my present moment? Everything that is going to make that become the expression of my life. So, I will do what I have always done, he said. Live with a grateful heart one day at a time. Let us live in the choice of good. Let us live in the choice of joy right here and right now. Not make it contingent upon some future idea. The choice of gratitude in this man's heart expressed itself in a way that when he, this story was being written down in the book, that man had continued the experience of life for 10 more years. He was still living when this part of the book was written. I don't know what happened to him since. He's still alive. That's the talk on immortality I will give someday because we all are immortal, but that's a whole other subject. <laughs> but living the choice of Experiencing your good now is a magnificent choice to make. The choice of gratitude as a core value, not as a reactionary emotion, supports better living. I'm going to say that again. The choice of gratitude as a core value, rather than a reactionary emotion, supports better living. What do I mean by that? I mean, let us not look to be grateful when something happens. Let us approach life with a grateful heart and trust that what shows up is in alignment with that gratitude. It is so fundamental, this idea, that gratitude is a state of mind and a core value state of mind that it becomes part of the teaching of our prayer process. In every new thought tradition, gratitude is part of the teaching of prayer. You know, we have five-step 
training in the prayer that is uh, part of the religious science tradition and in unity. The steps are called different things and they slightly differ, but both traditions have gratitude as one of those steps. And I think it is very important that we adopt gratitude at our heart's level because prayer rooted in gratitude becomes the causative energy of life. Prayer rooted in gratitude becomes the causative energy of life. And when we are infused with that feeling of gratitude, the prayer we speak becomes more effective than speaking words that are devoid of that feeling. Now, I have a little bit of a thing when I teach prayer. And I encourage people not to use thank you in the expression of prayer. And you may go, but, but you're talking about gratitude, right? But the moment you say thank you in prayer, you have now disassociated yourself from the thing for which you are expressing gratitude. It becomes something out there. And perhaps it, there's even a little inkling of an idea that you have to supplicate yourself to thank that thing out there for experiencing and expressing your good. Let that go. Gratitude is an inner feeling. And so if you ever, like, listen to my prayers. I'm going to encourage you all to listen to the prayers that I offer in service because I always say something along the lines of with gratitude over, overflowing from within, that sense of gratitude overflowing within, from within, I am fully supported in this moment and in every moment. It's never about thanking that which is out there. It's about feeling the gratitude. Um, Early in the teaching of affirmative prayer, early in the teaching of affirmative prayer, many, many will unwittingly approach the practice with this idea. They approach the practice like this. If I say the right words in just the right way, I might be able to trick God into granting me what I want. <laughs> it's not going to happen. As if the right words compel creation. They don't. Feeling is what compels creation. The words are secondary to the feeling in prayer. You know, the expression of language is actually a fundamentally flawed tool. Although we do our darndest to make it work, don't we? In the speaking of the prayer, it is more important to utilize words for yourself that enhance the experience of the feeling. And it is when we find ourselves in alignment with that feeling, and primarily the feeling of gratitude, that we experience the blessed expression of life that we are all often seeking. It's not about saying the right words ever. When I teach prayer, when I start doing classes in January, when I start teaching classes and I start teaching prayer, I'm going to really be very clear to say it is not about saying the right words ever. It is about treating the mind into a spiritual realization. That's the purpose of prayer. So is your approach in prayer, and this is something just to reflect on, is your approach in prayer to treat into spiritual realization or trick some concept of an outside God into giving you something? 
And in fact, that's the question I will encourage us all to look at this week as we engage in prayer practice. And I encourage everyone to practice prayer every single day. So there's something else I want to address, and that is that uh, for clarity, because I do come from a different background. You know, uh, I come from the religious science branch of New Thought, and I've recently come into the unity branch of New Thought. Um, And there is some language, some jargon that we use that I want to get very clear on. There's a belief that unity differs from religious science in the concept of prayer as treatment. In religious science, we call it spiritual mind treatment. But what we mean is affirmative prayer. That's what we mean. We mean affirmative prayer. Now, there's this great, this great book called The Revealing Word, written by Charles Fillmore, and he actually defines the word treatment. You ready for this? A treatment is a prayer of faith and understanding for healing, harmony, wisdom, prosperity, or any other good that one may desire. Its object is to raise the consciousness of the one being treated. So the language is actually the same. The language is actually the same because this is exactly the same thing that is taught in all new thought. The utilization of treatment, the specific practice of treatment as affirmative prayer raises the consciousness of the one being treated. And that can be you treating for yourself, or if you are someone like a minister who is in this movement or a prayer chaplain, it is you working to raise the consciousness of yourself about the thing for which you are praying. Ah, see, it's not necessarily about raising the consciousness of the person out there, but if they are receptive to it, their consciousness will be raised. So there are a couple of important words here in this particular quote. Faith and understanding. Faith and understanding. At the core of the practice of affirmative prayer treatment is faith. Faith, the inward embodiment of an idea so deeply rooted that it has become unshakable. What do you have faith about? Notice I didn't say have faith in, because that puts it outside yourself. What do you have faith about in your own life? What is an idea that is so unshakable, so deeply rooted, that no one's going to change your mind about it? That is something about which you have faith. And the development and the use of spiritual practice is to develop faith in our lives. So I suggest that part of the development of faith in this particular spiritual philosophy is to teach an inward embodiment and that is understanding. And what is it that we can understand? What is it that we can understand and embody? For me, there's one thing that overrides everything else, and that is knowing the truth of who we are. Knowing that there is no God outside the self, that the very presence and power of the divine is who we are. And it is beyond language. It is beyond words. Who we are is so magnificent that our light can never be distinguished. If you choose to, because the prayer is 
the word of your life. And everything in your mind, everything spoken, everything becomes prayer because you have so thoroughly embodied the notion of you, who you are. So this week's chapters in the book, Spiritual Economics, they're chapters on, that focus on gratitude and an encouragement for us to change our minds, to change our minds from the ideas of limitation and lack consciousness to a consciousness of knowing where our good comes from. And where does our good come from? Not out there. It comes from right here, right there. Within each and every one of us is the magnificent good that we all seek. A lack of gratitude can block that understanding and blocks the source. And sometimes we inadvertently adopt a sense of limitation. And so part of spiritual practice is to move us past those blocks, right? And it's a lifelong experience and expression. I'm still working on it as a minister. I've been doing this a long time. I'm still working on it every single day. You know, one of the things is we apologize far too frequently if we are not able to give in proportion to our perception of what others have to offer. For instance, I can only give a dollar. Have you ever heard yourself like contributing? Oh, I can only give a dollar. You go to the grocery store. And they're like, would you like to contribute to, you know, whatever charity that grocery store may be, uh, may be supporting that week? And you, if there's a thought in your mind, it goes, oh, I can only give a dollar. Or I can give only five dollars. That's something to look at. Because the energy of that is a limitation in your own mind that there is a difference between a penny and a million dollars. And in the infinite, there is no difference between a penny and a million dollars. It is all source. 100% of it is source. So work in the direction of understanding that all sufficiency is always available. The form of that sufficiency matters less than keeping in circulation with the flow of good. And we cannot trick the infinite into more if we have a consciousness of insufficiency. There was a friend of mine who I will very briefly uh, mention because they were living in an insufficiency consciousness. This is when I was studying, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, they were living in an insufficiency of consciousness around their job. How many people have that going on? It's like, oh, the people I work with, they are just not in support of the way I want things to be, and I think I need to leave my job. Anyone ever say that? I've said that. I need to leave, not this job. I need to leave my job because <laughs> it's not working out for me. But here's what happened. As this person continued to study and understand how the mind works and how she was the very power and presence of the divine as her, the circumstances of the job changed all around her. She didn't have to leave the job because she changed her mind. And the job shifted around her. It was a choice to live in the sufficiency of an infinite life. We can all make that choice. We cannot trick it into being but we can treat ourselves to it. So what choice will you make today? That's the question. What choice will you make today? Will you continue to try to trick or will you treat? 
Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. This is the homework. All right, for those of you who are here for the first time, this is where I offer up homework. This week, I would like you to make a list of things that you need to unlearn. These are the tricks, perhaps, in your life. Concepts that may be rattling around in your mind. Concepts like money is hard to get. Anyone ever feel like that? Or the economy just isn't so good right now. Or I'm on a fixed income. Which I always ask, who fixed it? <laughs> or here's one that, that a lot, especially from, from, from previous traditions, previous spiritual traditions that people carry with them into their experience of the moment. There is virtue in the experience of poverty. Let that go. Let it go. Look at the list and determine if you are willing to continue to live in those choices, because they're all choices. Extend these beyond the concepts of money as well. Look at the list of things you need to unlearn that are related to your health, to the relationships in your life, and to the creative expression in your life. Look at your life as a whole and say, what do I need to unlearn this week? And determine if you want to continue to live within those choices. Hi, this is Rev. Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.